I'm not saying it's true, I'm saying I believe it. There's no way you actually believe that. Come on. Will you at least admit that it's possible? I'll admit that you're an idiot. I wish we would have brought it up last week, but we, what? Ha we have a new intro. Oh yeah, we do. I made that. Yes, you did. We didn't make any mention to it last week because, honestly, I didn't realize Nick was putting it into our last week episode, the Tupac and Biggie oh, yeah. episode. So we made no mention of it. We had talked about doing it, but I didn't realize he was going to do it so fast. Yeah, and also also our logo. Our new logo. <laughs> I Actually, I didn't tell you about that either, did I? You told me about <laughs> it after the fact. I here's a, The story is I... I um, we talked about doing a, a new logo because ours was getting a little stale. Uh, and so I, I was, I got really into the idea of it. And at like midnight when I couldn't sleep, I just made that new logo. And then, and then I, I went to go see how it would work to change our logo. And then I accidentally just changed it at like one in the morning. I like it. And, and so then I messaged Thomas, or sorry, not Thomas. I messaged JJ and I was like, oops. I did a thing. I did a thing, and, and in the morning, I was like, yeah, I didn't mean to change that, but I did. Do you, like, do you we, like it? But here we are. <laughs> and so, uh, if you guys obviously listened to the intro before we started talking about it, and you can see our image next to whatever you're listening to, so let us know what you think of our new stuff. Yeah, I, I like it. Uh, we did the new intro because Nick thought the old intro was too long. It, yeah, it was. I've I listened to a lot of podcasts. And a lot of them have about 30 second intros. Um, basically what I wanted is I wanted it to hit right on. So ours was like 40 something uh, seconds. And it was a little long for me because specifically because if it's 30 or 15, a lot of podcast players have like skip forward controls for a preset number of seconds. And so I figured, you know, if ours is 15, you can set it to 15. You can just skip our intro if you want to. If you listen to a lot of a podcast, you kind of skip the intro. He really, every time. he literally got bored halfway through I, listening to our introduction. And, I couldn't and, stop and he, listening to the episode. And he made a conscious decision. You know what? Do I really want to listen to the, the rest of this thing? Do I really want to listen to this episode? And then we'd start talking and be like, oh, okay, that's better now. But we knew if yeah. if you if he was getting bored listening to if it. If I was getting bored listening to the things that I think are most interesting, you guys were probably getting bored. So we changed it. We changed it up. So uh, welcome to Conspiring to Argue. I'm Nick. I'm JJ. And this is Conspiring to Argue. There was no reason for me to say it again, but I did. What are we talking about today, JJ? We are talking about a fun one. We're talking about D.B. Cooper. I'm so excited. Well, not D.B. Cooper, because that's fake, but... <laughs> Well, Dan Cooper. Also probably fake. I'm very So there's much... no... <laughs> We're talking about a man. But everybody knows him as D.B. Cooper. Yeah, and so we'll, we'll probably... I mean, I'll, I'll say Dan Cooper. I'll say D.B. Cooper. Uh, there's no... Basically, we don't know the name of this person, so anything really works. But but people know him as D.B. Cooper or Dan Cooper. So. Yes, everybody. If you if you've searched D.B. Cooper, you'll have everything that you possibly... Made. And also, I want to throw this out there quick. This is a, a little bit non-traditional for a recording period for us because right now we're recording at uh, 10 a.m. It is. It's 10 in the morning on Sunday, which is weird. Yeah, we normally record later in, uh, in the afternoon, evening, because then we, you know, that's just the time we set and we, we usually get drunk in that time and everything. So neither one of us are drinking right now. Because which is which is a first. A, we little, have never... a little bit of self-respect on this show. Yeah, we we don't drink till afternoon. We're fathers, goddamn. Yeah, <laughs> so I guess shit to do today. But this is the time that worked out best for our schedule. Yeah, I gotta I gotta work today, and I definitely cannot be drinking <laughs> yeah. rum a couple hours before I gotta go yeah. to work. So. so we are here bright and early to record this for you guys. And so right now, rather than than uh, instead of being 
ran completely on rum. I'm I'm on I'm on coffee, so it might be a very coherent episode today. It might be. We still got got that caffeine. We'll yeah. see. We'll see how the digression goes. If it's any better or any worse. Might, yeah. So yeah. let's let's do DB Cooper because this is a really fun episode. This is this is probably one of the. One of the ones I really wanted to do. I was really excited it's really about this. Really fun. Episode. The research was fun. <laughs> it's going to be a good one. I and think. this is and this is such a. It's it's an episode where there's not a lot of difference of what happened. There's a very clear cut. You can check so many different sources, and they all pretty much say exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's a very clear cut. Here's what happened. Then this it's happened. Just, then this it's happened. kind of a why and a who, mm-hmm. and a and a, because of what happened, or it, this is what happened. What happened next? Absolutely. So How did the, it end up? The events are very much not debatable about what happened. I'm going to debate them, but... Well, why not? We'll get into why it. That was you? my weird theory, as always, but go ahead and take us in if you don't mind. What what happened? Where are we? When are we? I, w- I would love to. So right. we're going to start with the actual event. So on November 24th, 1971, it is the day before Thanksgiving, and a man wearing a dark suit, a white collared shirt, and a black tie with an ashes... Is it ashete? Attache. Attache. Attache, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or a briefcase. Uh, yeah, an attache case. Yeah, an attache case. Uh, came into the Portland International <laughs> Airport and bought a one way ticket to Seattle from uh, the Northwest Orient Airlines. He was in his mid 40s. He was, he was, yeah, like I said, very, very well dressed. Mm-hmm. His ticket at the time cost eighteen dollars. Yeah, with like, and I heard with fees and everything, it was like a, a total of like exactly twenty dollars. Yeah, he paid with twenty bucks. Yeah, I think that I think everything totaled about eighteen dollars. Oh, paid with, he paid with a twenty. He paid okay. with a twenty. Yeah, he back then. Airlines were different back then. There, there's a lot of reasons. We'll start with the money. We'll go into what he does on the airplane, which is very different. Things are very different. So actually, uh, during this time, you could get a plane ticket without your driver's license. Yep. When asked his name, he said, my name is Dan Cooper. Mm-hmm. He was a man in his mid-40s. And, and this was actually only supposed to be a 30-minute plane mm-hmm. ride. It wasn't a very long plane ride it, it was a it was a puddle jump he just was going from basically one hub to the closest hub and you know what realistically from portland to seattle mm-hmm. for 20 bucks heck yeah yeah I, I remember talking with my wife and she was telling me about how when they were kids they were talking about uh when they had to go on on airlines mm-hmm. that their tickets were like 60 dollars and they're and their families yeah. were complaining about that being yeah. too much money to fly. The, the whole idea of like uh, the money and how it's changed and, and complaining about airlines and, and that kind of thing, it always makes me think of um, Louis C.K. talking about like the miracle of flight. He's like, you, you listen to people talking about how they had to wait for 45 minutes and it's a goddamn travesty. People will stop what they're doing and listen. He's like, you're flying. You're flying through the air. It's a miracle. Don't complain. No. Yeah. <laughs> but, but during this time, like... You couldn't. So when you had in the 1970s, if you wanted to get on a plane, you didn't need your driver's license. You just had to tell them what your name was. There was no sort of security checks. No, definitely not. As we'll see later in the story. Yeah. So so just (laughs) incredible. Like I can't even just fathom. What, what air life was like back then. Well, remember when we were talking about 9-11 and how crazy it was that yeah. you could bring a box cutter onto a plane. It, yeah, and it's gotten so much crazier since 2001, but even before that, it was, I mean, you know, two, year 2000 air travel was way stricter than year 1971. Oh, yeah. So we can't even fathom being, being able to bring on a box cutter or liquid. Yeah. Totally more than... 
two or three ounces. Yeah, but this and you guy, can bring on a goddamn bomb yeah, onto a plane, yeah. and nobody checked your bag. Yeah, exactly. So, and you didn't need an ID either. So, this yeah, guy, you didn't need an ID. So nobody knows who this person right. is. Um, but he but boards by, the plane. But he boards. So, by actually, by all accounts, he was very friendly, even to the ticket yeah. person. He was very actually he, to the end of the story, pretty much. He's friendly. We and we'll we'll get into a little bit more of that. But but so what I want to say is it's it's. Air travel has changed an awful Quite lot bit, yeah. in the last forty or fifty years. Yeah. So, um, so he gets on. He gets on the plane. He actually sits in the back. He, he actually, when he before he gets on the plane, he asks if it's a Boeing seven twenty seven. Yeah. That's actually very important because Boeing seven twenty sevens are unique in that there's a staircase in the very back of the plane yep. that you can exit out. During this time with planes, you could. They didn't have the. Like what you see, like the side, the, or, or maybe I'm not getting at the same thing you are. Go ahead. No, I think you are. It's, it's, you know how now when you, when you park up to the, when you get on the tarmac, you, you pull up to the side and then yep. like something extends out yeah. and, and you walk out. Well, during this time you had to actually walk it down and you would walk down on the runway and then you'd go up another set of stairs to get back into the airport. Yep. This one was very strange in that you, it wasn't on the side, it was on the back. So it's you like the what you see in like, like army movies when guys are jumping out of the back of a plane, yep. like the yep. stairs. Well, it, it was like that. It was actually the back of the plane. Yep. Yep. So, it, interesting. So, he's seated towards the back and there's about 35, 40 people. It's, mm-hmm. it's a third full. Again, it's, Everybody kind of pegged him as a businessman who was heading home for yeah, the holidays. Because he was wearing, I think, a raincoat and a, a suit. Basically. He was wearing a yeah, he was wearing a raincoat, a suit. He was dressed in a tie. He was because during this time you dressed in your best clothes to travel, and he yeah. probably looked like a businessman. Yeah. So yep. so the plane departs a little before three p.m. During this time, it was it was drizzly. It was the, your normal you know West Coast weather. Uh, so he actually hands the note to the stewardess by the name of Florence Schaffner. Well, I think she, she brings him his drink first. Yes, and a lot she, of people talk about this. It's a bourbon and soda and which whatever. I, I don't it adds to drink, the legacy it, of him yeah, though. That's, that's the thing. It's like the name DB Cooper. That was a mistake that stuck around, which we'll talk about. But basically all of this is the, the mythos of DB Cooper. It actually doesn't necessarily matter that he had a bourbon and soda. That's never helped us figure out who he I, is. I think but, it's interesting that he was a, he was a chain smoker, yeah. uh, bourbon drinking man yeah. Yeah, in and, a suit. And like you were saying, so he's a businessman. He's sitting there. He, 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 um, he orders a bourbon soda. The flight attendant brings it to him. He lights up a cigarette and then, and he, then he hands her a note. Yeah. The, the stewardess at the time just thinks he's given her a number. He, she puts it in her purse. Uh, when she comes back to him, he, Leans over and says to her, Miss, I think you better look at that note. I have a bomb. Yeah. And at that point, she opens up the, she she asks to see it. He mm-hmm. opens up his, his briefcase and she sees, I believe it, it was, basically was red six tea. stacks of, of, of red stacks. I think mm-hmm. she... They thought it was dynamite. Yeah. Uh, and it had wires and a battery. Yeah. And he had his hand on the wire. It was essentially what you think a bomb looks like or yep. what they portrayed in movies and things like that. I don't know. Obviously, we don't know whether it was or not. But there yep. was something that looked very much like a bomb. Absolutely. So... Uh, the letter we don't really know what it said at the time because it was all it was all capital letters it was handwritten and he actually ended up retrieving the le- the letter so we don't yeah. know exactly what it but says based on that stewardess's account this it was I it was more or less I have a bomb no funny business do what I say so and, and then he said to sit down next to him right uh, she actually what she did was she went oh, right brought the note to the pilots mm-hmm. and the pilots would radio air control and say we have a hijacker he has a bomb he's de- uh, here are his demands. 
around. So yep. at the time, what he demands, he tells her is he wants $200,000 in small bills, all 20s. He wants four parachutes, two in the front, two in the back. And when we land, I want the fuel truck ready to go to tell yep. you where I want to go. So very, very precise, very, this is what I want, very specific. I want small bills. I want the, the four parachutes, which is kind of, which is interesting. Yeah. The, the having the front and back parachutes. I get the front and back. I get two, you -hmm. know, but, but we'll see later. He does have a plan for one of the other ones at least. Um, but go ahead. I agree. So, uh, pilot William Scott, he contacts air control who contacts the FBI at this time, the passengers were actually told that the flight was delayed because of a minor technical difficulties. Yep. That was one of the things that DB Cooper demanded was, I don't want anybody on the plane to know that there's a yep. bomb. Yep. And, it, and we'll maybe get into a couple of reasons why, but yeah. he definitely had control of this entire situation. Did, yeah. So if we go down to the air traffic control, FBI gets the, the FBI is called, they get the ransom money. Unfortunately, it's the day before Thanksgiving. Yes. So they have to actually go to several different banks to get. I, I kind of love that detail too. I remember hearing that and I was like, that's that's funny. Like they, they, they legitimately the, the FBI is going around to local like what like Portland or Seattle. I don't remember exactly whether they're in Oregon or Washington where it's landing. I think it's they're, Seattle. They're in Washington. They're yeah. going to Seattle, yeah. Washington. So they're going to around to Seattle banks and adding up to two hundred thousand dollars in twenty. Well, because that's ten thousand bills. Yeah, that's ten thousand twenty dollar bills. Yeah. No, banks just don't have $10,000, $20 bills just lined up the day right. before Thanksgiving. Right. Or so, probably in general. I mean, that's a ton. You yeah. Know, like. So so they, they end up getting the money. It takes them a couple hours. They actually photograph every single bill, yep. which you can only imagine was such an extraordinary long process to take pictures of yeah. 10,000 bills. Right. So they get the four parachutes actually from a local skydiving school because parachutes aren't just something airports have lying around and another another detail too it was specifically one of the reasons they went to the the school is because he requested civilian parachutes they asked him do you want military or do you want civilian he rejected the military ones right away and he said Mm -hmm. he wanted and he demanded the civilian ones unbeknownst to cooper and the fbi at that time one of them was a dummy shoot yep they actually had a big x on it and they did this for for local skydiving it was it was an idea it was when you're practicing, we have this dummy shoot so you can learn to rip the cord, but it doesn't actually deploy, deploy the shoot, right. or it's sewed up, so you, so the guy didn't have to keep putting it back, an mm-hmm. entire parachute. So it's a dummy shoot. It's clearly marked with a big X on it, but unbeknownst to the FBI, unbeknownst to, I imagine, D.B. Cooper at the time, that mm-hmm. one of them was a dummy shoot. We'll, we'll maybe get into that. So... During all of this, Cooper is calm. He's cal- he's calm and collected. He's smoking. He has two drinks at this time. He has bourbon and soda, and he actually tries to tip the flight attendants. After it's all said and done, he's, mm-hmm. he says, I think his bill is like $18, and he gives them a 20 and no, tells I think, keep the change. I, I actually heard it was the other way. It was, it was $2 because he just got like a oh, drink, oh, and so okay. he, he tipped $18. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And then they didn't take it from him. Yep. Because it was against protocol. So, which is funny how your mind works during that time. You try, you're hijacking a plane with a bomb. You try to tip somebody a, a huge tip. You, you, it's like funny that his mind goes to tipping because he's like a nice guy. And then, and then the stewardess's mind goes to protocol. Yeah. Like none of this is protocol. None of this is manners. You're, you're in a hijacking situation. He still tries to tip. They still reject it yeah. based on protocol. Yep, absolutely. So, he actually t- he tips the flight attendants. So there's a couple different flight attendants during this time. There's uh, Tina Mucklow. She actually spends the most time with Cooper. She's kind of the back and forth between Cooper and the pilot. Um, Tina Hancock, I believe she is the senior mm-hmm. uh, 
stewardess. As far as I know, she was just kind of there. She wasn't super involved in Cooper. No, no. And then you have Florence Schaefner, who was the one who received the note. And and I the first point of contact. The first point of contact. Yep, absolutely. So, um, and during this time, he he's making kind of weird comments he's mm-hmm. he's actually talking about the local terrain yeah he looks down in the plane and he says uh looks like oh, tacoma looks like down tacoma there. <laughs> because <laughs> and, and the, 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 fly, the flight assistant is like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> don't blow us up well but keep, but keep this in mind there this is only weirdo. supposed to be this yeah, this is only supposed to be a 30 minute flight and they've got to stretch it out because they're trying to make this they're trying to get all this money and it takes right. two hours to get all to get all this money to get all of these things situated so they're just it's kind of making small talk and and nobody on the plane is the wiser yeah because i think they tell if i if i remember correctly from a source that i looked at they they uh over the loudspeaker they said that they needed to uh they were having some small um everything was fine but they were having some small engine difficulty so they needed to burn excess fuel yeah and they just need to go around yeah. and everybody's like okay yeah All that right, sounds well, right cool that sounds right yep so, which to me would kind I'll of... I'll just light up another smoke. Yeah, I'll just have another bourbon. So, but, so during this time, he actually, so he comments on the Tacoma down there, and he actually correctly mentions the Air Force Base, which is incredibly interesting to me that he's at least sort of knowledgeable about this. And all the, everybody, all the, um, the flight attendants say he was nice. He was never cruel or nasty. In fact, he was thoughtful and calm the entire time. I, yeah. And I actually watched uh, exactly what you said there. I watched a video. I think it was, it was Mucklow, Tina Mucklow. Was that the name yeah. of the person? Yep. Um, when she was the one that had that quote, he was never cruel or nasty. She's actually like they, um, the whole crew went and talked to the press, obviously after this incident. And she was saying like, Oh, he was, he was never cooler. Nasty. He was very nice. And, yeah. and it was very loving the way she said it. It's a really interesting clip, but go yeah, ahead. It's, it's interesting. And he actually offers to get it, to request a meal for the crew when they're in Seattle. Like, Hey, yeah. we're going to be sitting on the tarmac for a while. You guys want something to eat? Yeah. So I think that's interesting that he was at least he's trying to make of, it a good hijacking, a good experience for yes, all. Yes, but they're, but he, but he's still hijacking. Exactly. He still has a bomb. Exactly. He's sitting there with a bomb and talking about. I want to make sure you guys are well fed and you're and, having a good time. And I think that's what adds to the myth of DB Cooper. I think that's what adds to the, maybe the, the the him being a hero kind of idea. Yes, because a lot he's of people, a nice guy. Well, a lot of people feel like. Uh, they root for D.B. Cooper yep. because he stuck it to the man. He stuck it to the man, and he did it in a nice way. And he was really, he was kind of James Bond-esque, yes. you know? He was, like, very nice dressed, and he was, like, worried about the women and being very, like, he had a bourbon, and he was like, oh, you guys might want to get some food. Is everybody doing okay? I'm just sticking it to the man, but, you know? But at the same time, he had a bomb. He has a bomb exactly. on a plane, and that's what people get lost is, well, nobody got hurt in this entire thing. But true, but, we'll, but but we'll find out later when we get through all this that it actually screwed up people. Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, they're they're still hostages. They are still yep. hostages, yep. and I think that gets lost in this entire thing. Exactly, is they're still hostages at any moment they could die. Yep. So, uh, at five thirty, he's told that his demands are met. They land the plane at five forty, and they land in a remote location. Now, I've heard either. D.B. Cooper suggested that. I also heard the co-pilot say that they were going to eventually land right by the tarmac, right by the the um, the airport. Mm-hmm. He he said, no, we need to go to a remote location. I, I don't know either way. I think way. that's right. I, I think what you said, yeah, they did go to more of a remote location they, based they on they Cooper. Did, they did. I don't know if it was... I, everything I read was Cooper, but then I heard an interview from the co-pilot, and he says he's the one that did it. Oh. So regardless, I I don't know. There's it's, no real way to verify to that, but yeah. So so but they do. They they uh, 
they they land a remote location. The airline Seattle operation manager for the uh, for the airline, he goes and puts the money out on the tarmac, uh, and then Tina Malkow brings all the money onto the plane. The parachutes. He takes four or five trips to carry all this money and, and everything. Oh yeah, because <clears throat> and it was specifically they wa- he wanted her to do it to do all of it because he didn't yes. want you know somebody coming in with a gun yep. and shooting him. Yep. So absolutely. Yep. So uh, Cooper allows now during this time Cooper allows. Uh, Schaefner, the pilot who, mm. or the stewardess who originally made contact, he allows Hancock, the other, the uh, main stewardess, yep. the the head stewardess at the time, and the passengers to all leave once he has his money. But he makes uh, Muckow and the cabin crew stay. Yep. So this is important. This is important. Yep. So uh, during this time, Cooper demands that they take off towards Mexico City. He wants them to very specifically maintain minimum airspeed, near stalling speed of about 120, 150 miles per hour. Knots. not, Which no, is miles per hour. Yeah, mile per hour. And then it's sky miles per hour. Sky miles per hour, excuse me. So and then a maximum of ten thousand feet altitude. Pretty he wa- low. He wants yes, actually very low. Uh landing gear, he wants to remain deployed at takeoff, and he mm-hmm. wants the wing flaps at fifteen degrees. Yep. So he's knowledgeable. Yeah, he, he understands planes in some way, shape, or form. But what he doesn't understand is that with those specs, they can only get a thousand miles and the farthest they can get to refuel. And then the farthest they can get is to Reno, Nevada. So they make plans to stop at Reno, Nevada. He actually says, okay, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. That's fine. Whatever. No problem. Um, He also wants the rear exit door with the stairs uh, open during takeoff and everything. The pilot refuses. He says that is unsafe. He's not going to do that. Right. And D.B. Cooper says, no, it's fine. It's safe. I know it is. You can do that. They argue a little bit. And eventually D.B. Cooper, of all people, gives in. Yeah. I've heard basically he's like, no, trust me. It's safe. And the pilot's like, I'm not doing it. He's like, fine. Yeah. So he just said, I'll do it when I'm airborne. Yep. Whatever. So uh, it actually takes, interesting enough, it actually takes three tanker trucks to refuel this plane. The first one has mechanical problems, yeah. and then they go and get a second one, and then that one runs out of fuel. Yep. And during so this time... third one. So then they bring in a third one. And during this time, D.B. <gasps> Cooper is actually incredibly... This is the one... He's on point. edge about it, yeah. I think. And I think this is the one point when they said that he actually was, like, stressed. This yeah. is the one point where he was kind of yelling at the... And not yelling, but he was going, like... Why is this taking so long? Like, yeah. I'm trying... I have a bomb. I'm trying to hijack you yeah. guys. I'm getting worried that they're going to, like, you know, storm in because oh, it's taking longer. Absolutely. Why not? And during this time, they've just decided we're going to give him all of his demands. Right. And then we'll just follow him. And when he either jumps out of the plane or they land, we'll take care of it then. He's got a bomb. We don't want to... We don't want to do anything with this. They don't... Which is actually kind of interesting that they didn't just barge in and shoot him right then and there. Yeah, the whole thing is because the 70s, I'll, I'll just say I think it's because it was a lot more trusting of the time, honestly. They were like, if we give him his needs, he'll just he'll be fine. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll catch him when he lands. Yeah. And, and you know what? To their credit, it, that's what happened. Yep, exactly. I mean, they did the right thing. They absolutely they did really the right did. thing. They, they essentially saved everybody yeah, if it did. was a bomb. They did. They did. So um, at 7.30, they are back on their way in the air. Cooper... Uh, Macklo, the air attendant, I'm sorry, the flight attendant, they're the co-pilot, Raznicek, I yep. that's the gentleman I think who that's, I, that's a good pronunciation. That's what I was thinking. Thank you. But go ahead. Yep, thank that's you. the co-pilot. Uh, and then the pilot, Scott, they all mm-hmm. take off. Uh, unbeknownst to them, unbeknownst to Cooper, the Air Force has a couple planes behind yep. them that are following them. At about 740, Mucklow is allowed to rejoin the crew in the cockpit. Yep. 
So uh, after she showed Cooper how to operate the rear exit door, she sees him actually starting to tie something around his oh, waist yeah. during this time. Soon after there, she gets, Mucklow gets back there at about eight o'clock or so. Uh, there's a light that indicates that the rear door has been opened. Mm -hmm. Cooper uses the intercom saying that he can't get the stairs down. They tell him, okay, we're going to slow down a little bit. And then they give him the go ahead to drop the stairs. He never replies. One important thing to note during this, during this is that it was a heavy rainstorm. There was a lot. And it was pretty cold. Too. It was very cold. I mean, it was November. Yep. It's November and it's a huge rainstorm. And th this is where, when we get into the argument, was he, did he know what he was doing or did he not? Yep. Because I, I, I kind of think he thought half of his plan through, but he didn't think the other and half. And that's possible. So we'll get into we'll, that. We'll get into yep. that. So eventually they hear their, their ears pop when he opens the door and they feel a bump at, that they acknowledge at 813 and the co-pilot actually contacts air traffic control and says, I think our friend has left. Yep. They keep on their flight to... Nevada. Um, during this time, the ex excuse me. Now, during this time, they actually he they when this happens, it's right near the Oregon Washington border. Yep. And now they keep on there. During this time, the the Air Force that's following him, they don't actually see anything mm -hmm. of him. But to their credit, it was pitch black. It was eight o'clock in the evening yeah. in November, so they didn't see anything. They landed at ten fifteen. The Reno plane was searched. They see that the dummy chute and the military chute are missing. One of the front chutes is open and the cords are cut, and the other one was never used. Yep. So getting to what the FBI recovered when they searched this plane, so they interview all the all this uh, the crew, and they interview actually all of the people who were on the plane, the passengers, and none of them can really remember anything about him. There was nothing really remarkable about nothing him. Nothing remarkable, yeah. I think um, there was uh, one gentleman, um, I don't remember his last name, but he was like a college student. He was sitting in the back, um, actually kind of uh, horizontally in the same row as, yeah, I don't need to say horizontally, it's a row, but in the same row, but across the aisle. Um, and he, he just saw B.B. Cooper and said, you know, basically, just described him the same way. Yeah. And that was basically it. And they made the composite sketch. You can go look at the composite sketch. Yep. It's actually probably one of the most popular or, or yep. you know, well thought out of composite sketches. Uh, they actually find 66 fingerprints, none of which they can identify yep. as D.B. Cooper. <coughs> and they find a black clip-on tie. It was a $3 yep. J.C. Penney's tie. And that will become later in our yep. argument. We'll talk more about that. Um and it's hard to find the exact landing zone if he did, in fact, jump out and when he he left yep. because there's so many unknowns. They don't know when he deployed his chute. They didn't know exactly. the wind. Now, they did search the area, but they never found him but they or, can, any of the, or anything. But what we can, we can say is that you can narrow it down to yes. that general area, you know, because at first it was like if he did jump out of the plane, it was somewhere from their their uh, takeoff to their destination. Yeah. Um, but but we know that it's much less than that because of when they they felt the mm -hmm. the doors all of that. He's gone off the plane, and they can pinpoint it to this general area. So yep. that's where they search. So just a reminder: this is 1971. They do search the entire area. It wasn't until about 1978 that they find 
a plate instructions for lowering, lowering a 727 stairs. Yep. They find that in White Castle, or I'm sorry, White Castle. They find it at a White <laughs> Castle. No, they find it at White Rock, Washington. And then in February 1980, on the Columbia River, under where a vacationing family were going to build a fire, they find three bundles of $20 bills uh, totaling $5,800. That were matched to DB Cooper. The, the pictures, the, the pictures yeah. that they had, extremely waterlogged. These they these were bills decomposing. Were, quickly, oh, they yeah. were they were in just terrible, terrible, terrible shape. Yep. Uh, that's the last we ever hear about any evidence popping up. The FBI eventually closed the case in 2016. Mm-hmm. Just recently, some what was it? Who was it that that uh, checked out the tie? Oh, it was, um, so essentially the FBI gave a lot of the evidence to an amateur group of scientists that were basically, they, they were amateur sleuths, but this they was, were scientists. This was recently. Yeah. This, this was, was actually just recently. in the last couple of years. Yep. And Cause, they, cause they don't have any, they, I think they tried to put it out in the public. Yep. They, they did a couple times. They put all the evidence out there. Now during this time, people had claimed that they knew DB Cooper. It was my brother. It was my uncle. There were a lot of people. There was I think there were like this. 700 people that confessed to uh, D- being DB Cooper. Yes. And but the only physical, probably none of them were DB Cooper. I imagine not, but, but the only physical evidence they had was the tie. And so then they, they ran, they used, um, you know, microscopes and I don't know science, but they, they analyzed uh, material on the tie and they found, do you want to talk about now what they found? Yeah, um, go ahead. Okay, so they, they found um, the uh, fragments of titanium. Well, they, and, they found about 100,000 different particles yep. on this tie. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I know one of the main ones that, that comes into the arguments is titanium. Be, because that in the 1970s was nowhere to be found. Yep. Except in very, very, very specific industries. Right, right. So that's kind of reopened the interest, reopened the case. Yeah. I, we'll it's, probably, a, it's a cool thing to find. It, we'll, it may, I mean, we'll go into that more with the argument side, but that's kind of the last thing you hear about. Yep, that's DB really Cooper. where... And then I think they officially closed the case in 2016. They did. Or they, they stopped investigating it. They, they are no longer thing. actively yep. searching for it. They haven't closed it, but they are no they, longer... It's not an active case. It's no longer an active case. It's a very cold case. But so... Basically, that's the history in a nutshell. Yeah, I'm excited um, to to actually argue it. Yeah, most of this is argument. So I guess, uh, are you ready? You got anything else? I don't have anything to add. Ring that bell. Let's get ready to rumble. So my my favorite thing about all of this, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, supposedly. The character, uh, the the Don Draper character in Mad Men, that's D.B. Cooper. You know, when I was searching who is D.B. Cooper, that was one of the first <laughs> couple things that popped up just recently. Supposedly, it went to the point where the, the show, I don't think they ever made strict reference, but they they made sure that it wasn't. Or, or maybe they didn't, but I think it's pretty clear that that's not the intention of that character. But... It, it does give you a good place, I guess, mentally to think about what D.B. Cooper was, kind of how they romanticized his character sure. in culture. Because obviously, you know, the characters in Mad Men are very like, they're like the businessmen drink at nine in the morning and have a business meeting. And, you know, that's that's kind of the D.B. Cooper mythos, you know. It's, Which we're not nearly cool enough because it is nine or ten o'clock here. Yeah. And we are not drinking. No. Because no. you have to hang but out. we're also your... not in suits. So, that's of course, true. we're not. 
That's true. <laughs> Not today, at least. Not today, at least. Yeah. You are in a button-up shirt. You look fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. I, I like this shirt. It's kind of a peach. But anyway, uh, peach color. I mean, it's. I'm I, not just calling it a peach. I've actually never seen Mad Men. Oh, it's a pretty good I've show. never watched it. I've, I haven't seen a lot of I've seen maybe two or three seasons of it. I really like what I've seen. I should watch more. But That's a hard. It's a good show. Maybe yeah. I'll... Maybe when I'm not researching things for this podcast, I will yeah. check it out. Yeah. Yeah. There will be a day when we watch all these shows. But anyway. I, I have a three and a half year old. Yeah. I watch tons of Curious George. Yeah. I will never watch Mad Men. I pretty much... <laughs> or I've never watched Breaking Bad either. I've seen all of Breaking Bad really? and I'm not a big fan of the entire show. Honestly. Really? Yeah. I don't really like Everyone says it's the greatest show ever. I didn't really like any of it. Like really? I, I got... Okay. I think what it is is I got so irritated with all of the main characters. Really? Like, I hate all of the main characters on that show. That's how I felt with at the end of Weeds. I stopped yeah. watching Weeds at, at the end of season like five. I, I watched, yeah, I was going to I yeah, I probably watched about that much too. My, my ex was really into it and she watched it all the time and I would pick up parts of it and it was just, I, I ended up just that. hating the main character. Yeah. I ended up I like Jimmy her. Smith's character in it because Jimmy Smith is always cool. But, he is. Um, but anyway, so... We're digressing. To, We're yeah, digressing. You are, you are going to get more hate mail about the Breaking Bad than you are from 9-11 or your police uh, That's true. Uh, comments. So Yeah, true. So let's let's get into our theory. I'll start with mine. It, really what happens is when you, when you talk about D.B. Cooper, people fall into one of three different categories. They either fall into... He, when he jumped out, he died. He didn't open up his chute. He maybe got knocked unconscious because of the bad weather. He died. He, he somehow he shoot died. And, and died. Maybe he tried to open his dummy chute and he, and he died. So, or, or even he, he correctly deployed, landed and died. Yes. That was another thing is that either he wasn't equipped for the wilderness and yep. he died a couple days later or he, something happened. He it, died on impact. Yeah. Or the other one is that he landed, he survived and he's went into hiding and he went into hiding with this, with the money um, only losing 5,800 along the way, which isn't bad. Yeah. You're jumping out of a plane. 200,000 you lose. I mean, what is that? A, a very uh, five out of 200. That's uh, some small amount that I can't count. That's quickly. not 40, bad. 40. It, it's a 40th. You know what? I didn't, I didn't <clears throat> mention before that $200,000 in 1970 oh, money yeah. is a million dollars over a million dollars today. Yep. So I, it's, I forgot to, to mention that yeah, for inflation, a lot so of money. So it didn't seem like $200,000 a lot, but yes. So those are the three theories. Mine is that, I don't. I truly believe that he, when he jumped out, he got knocked unconscious, or he never deployed his chute and he hit the ground. He's dead, and that's why we've never found the money in circulation. I, okay. I think he's dead. I think right. he died that night. Now I don't actually think either of those theories. Of course are, you don't. Are what happened? I personally believe this is a very real conspiracy, according to the definition of, course of conspiracy. It is. But I think that. Um, when all of the passengers and some of the, I, I think basically when they stopped and everybody got out, um, the people that he was working with, it pro- potentially included, you know, at least the, uh, the pilot of the ship, maybe the co-pilot, but some of the people that were on the, the airplane, uh, he got out in Seattle, uh, went off with the money. They went and finished the flight. They, they said they, somebody went back and opened the stairs. They said that they think he jumped out. They landed. Um, and from there, the rest is is history. That he he came back. He, all the people that worked with him, he gave them their cut of that now million dollars. You know what would have been a million dollars, and everybody went on their own merry way. So they oceaned eleven. This yep. is what you're. It was basically a big point. heist. The people who are who many consider to be the victims of this entire case are actually working with DB Cooper. Maybe at least at least a couple of them. Okay. 
So that's that's what I think, and I think I can prove it. And so let's get right into it. What's our first point we're going to argue? Well, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that, but our first point is whether he was a mastermind or whether he was just an idiot that fumbled through this entire thing. Well, I think obviously with my theory that he was a mastermind, okay. he just was one of a few masterminds of this whole conspiracy. I think a lot of times when people ask that question, it's whether he lived or died based on the jump. So I can I can talk a little bit about that too. I think Well, that, that's our second point is whether he's alive or dead. Well, I mean, so let's just go with whether he's a mastermind or what not. What I mean with the mastermind or idiot theory is what that could be explained with whether he had the technical knowledge to make that jump based on all this kind of stuff. So maybe I shouldn't say whether he lived or died because that is his next point, but but whether he was saying the right things and what what he knew about the airplanes if that was enough to make him a mastermind. It's kind of more what I mean. I think he had some sort of knowledge about it. No, I'm I'm going to retract back from our our made-up fantasy land sure. that is My Ocean's Eleven, and say that there's a couple things that I think he planned out. I think he planned the heist very well, but I don't think he planned the rest of it very The very, actual action of the it. The action of it very well. Um, I think what was planned very well with him was not to alert everybody that there was a bomb on the plane because, did a good job with that. Because yeah. now nobody's... Because now he's just any other passenger. If you say, this guy has a bomb on the plane... Everybody's looking at him. Everybody's memorizing every feature about him. You're limiting the number of people that actually saw him and would recognize his features to two or three people, which would be the stewardess. Because the pilots never saw him. They never left the front of the plane. So in that retrospect, that was well thought out. Mm -hmm. But I think what I don't like about this whole thing is there was no plan B. I mean, he had a bomb on a plane. He was either going to get away or he was going to die. Yeah. And I feel like if you're a mastermind, you have a plan B. You have a it, plan C. I there, agree. In this situation you put yourself in, there was no plan B. I think my the way that I look at it, if it's it, taking my theory out of it for a second, mm-hmm. well, well, I guess it's either he's either a mastermind and my theory makes sense or he didn't think it through very well. Well, cuz what would happen if the airplane if you're uh, the airline, because keep in mind, it's not the government that paid D.B. Cooper. Yeah. I know everybody thinks, oh, he stuck it to the man. He got all this money from the government. No, it was the airplane or it was the uh, the airliner yeah. that paid him this two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So what if they refused? Right, right. What if they came in gun blazing? Yep. All he has is a bomb. Yeah, yeah. It's not. I mean, you 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 do have to think too. I think when he we left say a things lot of like things that, to chance, he did. But at the same time, I don't think it was as much to chance as it would be today to do that. Okay. Today they'd come in and take you out, and you know, be damned all the people on the plane if he pulls the the cord, you know, sure. or if he if he ignites the bomb. But I think back then, I think he knew that the reaction would be closer to what it was. Sure, that, it, it that's was, very well true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm not saying necessarily, but I do think that that does speak to his credit a little bit. And and in the seventies rather than today. Okay. Um, the next one I want to talk about is the parachutes. Yep. So do you have any, yeah, I do. I actually have a lot to do with that. Um, one of the documentaries that I watched in in preparation for this is really great guys. Um, and actually a lot of people that know anything about this case, um, not, not all, but a decent amount of people have heard of this or know. Uh, history channel did a a documentary. It's called DB Cooper case closed with a question mark at the end and they basically it's it's this goofy documentary where um a couple like retired fbi investigators and some um um independent kind of uh criminal journalists and and researchers and, and some scientists and basically a bunch of people get together kind of uh 
action movie style. They have their their scientists. They, everybody gets together and they try to go. And they this one guy has a theory, and and basically he has people help him prove his theory. And it's an interesting documentary. I don't agree with what they end up with, but they do talk to a lot of interesting people along the way. And some of my theory comes in with these people they talk to. So one of the things are you are you the only one that believes this, or do some people actually believe? I think he a was... lot of people believe in the conspiracy that he had. I, I I've I've seen a couple people online that say something similar. I. That he had help. That he had that that it was planned. That it was planned by more than just DB Cooper, and that he didn't jump out of by the possibly the flight crew. Yeah, or because of his okay. ties to, to Boeing that we'll talk about later. Okay. But okay. um, so he they go and talk. I just to, want to make sure this wasn't just a harebrained idea that you just it's made. Definitely a harebrained idea. But fair enough. Um, so he goes and or the, the the documentary crew they go and talk to. Um, I don't remember the gentleman's name. I wrote it down and I lost the piece of paper, the napkin I wrote it on. But um, he, um, I have a notebook. They, I have a spiral notebook that has several pages of notes. But go on, go on. They, they tell me about your napkin. Uh, so they notes. They um they talk to a gentleman who is a, a skydiving expert. He teaches skydiving. He's okay. Done, he's logged thousands of hours and and a thou- thousands of jumps. You've you've and, you've piqued my interest. And go on. They go and talk to him, and basically they say. And he tells them exactly what they're like. Well, what they what they issued to him was this blah C blah blah, blah and gives a model number of the exact shoots that okay. he was given. Um, <clears throat> he says, you know, one of them was a dummy shoot. The other three were the C blah blah blah. And he's like, if I was if I was going to do exactly what he did, that was the perfect shoot to do. If you were going to jump into inclement weather out of the back of a plane, that's one of the type of, of parachutes where you would stand on the back stair, you would deploy it, it would squib out. So basically, he he de- supposedly what this skydiving expert says is he didn't even he hadn't jumped. He let the parachute pull him off of it. It would have kept him completely safe. He wouldn't have had a concussion. Nothing would have happened like that, even in inclement weather, because of the type of parachute. It was an extremely strong um, parachute. That's why they used it at this academy because it was very. It wasn't prone to errors in any way. Okay. It was one. It was the best parachute that he could have picked. And I think that there's more to it than just. Do you want military? No, I want civilian. I think he knew if he was a mastermind. I think he knew that they would be the civilian parachute he'd be getting. There aren't a ton of parachutes parachutes in the world that they would be able to reach on quick access. That was a more mass produced one. This one that that skydiving expert said was the best he could have used. And the one that that, that expert would have used himself. Um, I think DB Cooper, that speaks to him being a mastermind, basically either accidentally guessing or knowing that that shoot was perfect. There's a couple different things that I, I, I think partly made him a mastermind was that he got four shoots, which to me, very important too, which is important to me in that cuz he didn't use one of them but i think what what really masterminds this to me is and and i and i do think he was a fumbling idiot but i think there was some things that he that he got out a classy fumbling idiot classy but he but he did some things that to me were were very very interesting right. and that was with the four shoots because if you get four shoots that points to maybe i'm taking three more people with me so at that time the fbi couldn't afford one more person well, front and back. At least not well. Yes, but you could still use a front parachute just you, by it itself. It could be four people. You could yes. use up to three other people. Yep. So what that tells me is he's thinking, hey, I'm going to get these four shoots and there's going to be no way that they're going to give me a fake shoot because what if I take someone with me? They're That's not going to risk someone else's life. That's actually a very good... I hadn't thought of it that way. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought about that either until someone pointed that out on, yep. on a forum that I was reading this. He got four shoots so and he was only going to intend to use... 
two or three of them, mm. but who's to say which one was the dummy shoot? Now, keep in mind, he did pick the only shoot that had an X on it yep. for whatever reason, and then he actually did pick the military <laughs> Maybe shoot. Maybe misdirection? Maybe, but, but he also picked the military shoot, so that tells me that he wasn't familiar with what a military parachute was and what a civilian parachute but was. But also, if you think about my theory, he, he walked off the plane... And and maybe, you know, they stopped somewhere. I mean, he has ample time to somehow get off the plane and hide at least. I mean, there it's possible. I'm not saying it happened, but, but it's possible that he did get off the plane in Seattle when all the other passengers were like, oh, because this is my theory. He, he got off the plane. Then they did the whole thing. They took him up. Or they took nobody up, and they, they said that they were talking to him and everything. But, but if he did get off the plane, he took, he went... All right, I need to make it look. I'm gonna cut this. I'm gonna cut this rope and leave this here. I'm gonna leave my tie there. I'm gonna leave, um, you know, because it's a clip-on. It's easy to come off. I'm gonna leave that there. So there's some stuff. I'm not putting my prints on anything. He's wearing gloves. You know, he um, he grabbed two parachutes and ran off the plane because they were coming in to start talking to the passengers and doing a head count. So he ran off the plane. He he got to where he ended up hiding. He realized, oh shit, I took the one with the X. Oh well, it still is gonna work. You know, my, maybe my know. my biggest problem with that is if we look back to my my notes is that uh, the passengers were taken off the plane, so he got the money. Passengers were taken off the plane, and then he starts talking to the pilot. So they are actually having a conversation for an hour before they're going to take off. But here's the the question that I have: the the whole the whole thing is relayed. I am looking at this. Basically, anytime that D.B. Cooper, he spoke through the people on that airplane. He didn't speak to anybody outside of it at any point. He only okay. spoke to the pilot and things like that. So if they were in on it, that's very easy to say. Now he's saying this. Now he's saying this. Now he's saying this. So you would have to have the pilot who the was pilot in on it. The pilot would have to be in on it. The co-pilot and then Mucklow. Yes. The, Basically, those three for sure. Those three would have to have been in on it because the other two stewardesses, uh, flight attendants were, were let go. Yep. So, so at it's point, whoever is basically, it's whoever is on the plane. It, it, it's the, the, after the pe- most of them are let off. It's whoever's still on the plane. They pr- are probably in on it. Would you say that's probably why he was kind to people then? Yeah, because he wasn't planning. He didn't, I honestly, part of my theory it. is I don't think he had a bomb either. I mean, I, I, I maybe I, I think that. Sure. You know what? There's you, only, only the stewardesses are the ones who saw the bomb. Yeah. And, and if they were, I mean, you know, and okay. the thing is he was on the plane. There was somebody because uh, the people that probably weren't in on it because there were mm-hmm. too many, you know, did describe him. Several did and, and saw him. And so there was somebody on that plane. He did get off. Like I said, there was somebody and he did have maybe something that looked like a bomb. He was never planning on using a bomb because it was all this orchestrated thing. He didn't have any active bomb, but basically he had what could look like a bomb, what could look like a hijacker, somebody who was going to get off when everybody else did, and then they were going to carry out the ruse and then split the money. Okay, that's 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 incredibly interesting. I know, I know the FBI looked into all their mm-hmm. all different things. I don't know if they looked into that. That that's a theory that I hadn't even. Yeah, heard it's an interesting of. theory. I'll admit it, it is. Um, the other part of I want to go with the mastermind is when he jumped into that the skydiving. I know you said the skydiving expert would have absolutely. That was the best shoot to have, yes. but he wasn't convinced. I wasn't convinced that he was ever going to have that shoot, and there's no way he could have known he was going to have that shoot. And there's no good weather to do that in, with it being the heavy rain that's, and going at the speed that they were at. And that's the thing, though. It's it's like saying like, if 
if you were, what, what are the best tires for driving in the rain? And then somebody goes, there are no good tires for driving in the rain, but the best are these. Okay. It's still, it's still a best. It doesn't sure. mean that you want to drive in the rain when it's a terrible rainstorm, but these are the best tires to do it in. It's the same thing with parachute. What's the best parachute to, uh, parachute, to parachute in these uh, conditions? It's this parachute. Don't do it, but it's this one. Okay. Uh, the next, the next thing I was going to ask you then was what happened to the two parachutes then? Because two of them were gone. He took them off with him. It's same with any anything else that wasn't that it, all the stuff he left there. He left intentionally. All the stuff that was gone, he took intentionally okay. to keep this to make this ruse look real. Okay. All right. I'll whatever. Why not? Sure. Um. So okay. Indeterminate whether he's a mastermind or an idiot. We don't know. I I think there were definitely some things that he did. Like he had he had knowledge of planes. Yeah. But he didn't have enough knowledge to if if we're going with that he was in that plane when he took off that. With the specs that he gave the pilots, it was only going to get him a thousand miles. He didn't realize yeah. it was going wasn't well, going to get him to Mexico. He wasn't a pilot, and also a lot of this could be misdirection if he really is sure. a mastermind. I mean, sure. it, as I always say, it, yeah. it could be misdirection. You okay, know? all right, um, alive or dead? Well, your, your theory would be that he's absolutely alive. Well, probably not anymore. He'd be well, very no. old. But but after that plane, after the supposed jumping out of the plane, yes, he was alive because that never happened. He okay. just walked on. He walked off of the plane. And hid somewhere, and then continued on with his life after he gave the money to everybody else. Okay. Um, if we're not doing that one, a lot of people will say if he did jump and he did survive, that he didn't have the equipment necessary to survive in the wilderness because he jumped into a very wildernessly well spot. Potentially, there's potentially. a range, and and what what I've heard people have said like. He probably the, the only way you would know when you're jumping not to get impaled on a tree and things like that in that densely populated or d- densely wooded area is according to lights, according to like Portland lights. Sure. And in timing, so he could have timed it into water. You know, if he if he would have if he would have known, say it was somebody who does have pilot experience, say it was somebody who has a small jet them or not jet a small plane themselves, and they've been flying that area and looking for if I jumped, what's the time? And yeah. they've been time. You know, it's possible. Um. Like I said, I, I don't know about it. I don't even believe that he jumped. But if if he did, I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that somebody who's going to carry out this plan also maybe did a few practice runs in a, in a private plane. That's that's if, yeah. That's yeah. that's if. So I, I truly believe that he died right away, whether he jumped out, deployed his chute, because he's jumping into pitch black. Let's just yep. say for a second he did jump out of that plane. If he ju- jumped out of that... He's jumping into wilderness. Who's to say he wouldn't get stuck in a tree? Who's to yep. say he wouldn't get impaled on a rock or again, a branch or something going at the speed he was, right. he was going at? And again, and, I, I'm and, talking... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, and there's no evidence to support that he ever opened his shoe because the people that were, the jets that were following <laughs> behind him never saw anything I think actually, either. and that's part of the reason I have the theory that I have, you know? Okay. Because, you know, I, I'm, I, that could also just be explained by the... Didn't fucking would see you, him in the dark. Would you but, argue then that this was so well crafted that him being so dumb to jump in those elements does seems out of character? No, well, and that's why he walked off the plane. I just think that it's a better plan to not. That's a lot of chance. Like, yes, they could have. It could have been a conspiracy with everybody, and then he could have also jumped off the plane, made it, made it back, and given them money. But it's a much better plan for them to just shelter him, getting off the plane, hide him, and have him hide, and then they carry out the rest of the ruse, and then he gives them money. It's a much better plan. And then I have two questions for you. Uh, the money, the $5,800. Oh, yes. I love this that point. That they found on the, on the river. This is my favorite point. Because, because to me, <laughs> to me, that speaks that when he either fell into the, in the water mm-hmm. and it got washed up or in the wind, the incredible 120 mile hour yep. winds 
ripped the money out from him and that he landed somewhere else, but the money crashed down on this bank or in the water or whatever. What would you say to that? Well, uh, what I'll tell you is when this money was found, um, where it was found, everything like that, um, it wasn't it found, I believe it was 1980. That was the year. So it was, yes, nine, it was nine years, years later. later, nine years later, when it was found, the it was it was wrapped in rubber bands. Yes. And when they the rubber bands when they were touched they disintegrated. Yes, they they were very they were waterlogged. It was it there, was but uh, somehow the the they survived. If we're going with that, yep. they landed back there nine now, years ago. I listened to I I read a couple sources about this. I actually I so this documentary that I was talking about, I heard somebody say it and I looked it up and as far as I could tell, this is completely true from every source that I've seen. The life of a rubber band in the conditions that that was in at most would have been completely deteriorated and gone in six months. Okay. No matter what, no variables would make that rubber band stay for nine years. There are none. It would have been completely gone. You wouldn't be able to see it, even though it deteriorated when you touched it. That shows it had been there for about six months. Okay. Oh, so you're saying that the that it was only there for six months? Yes. That and money was, was only in that location for six months. Why? Why because, would it be planted? Because then everybody in the world is going to go. He definitely did get out of that plane. In some way, whether he lived and lost a little bit of money, whether he died and that was part of the money that fell, he definitely did jump out of that plane because there was money. But if you realize that the money was only there for six months, it becomes a perfect plant to throw a shadow on what really happened. I, I don't, I don't, I have How trouble do you with, argue that? with that. Well, that's, that's taken into account fact that, that those rubber bands would have disintegrated. Yep. I've seen where things are supposed to happen and that's not always how things True. do whether they're they might have been buried in the sand away from the elements it, like i said as far as i know there's no it, the, the person that i heard on the documentary and then the, the research that i've done there's no that's kind of the one smoking gun there's no way that they can explain how because it was found in the water even if it was buried in the sand for nine for eight and a half years and then the last six months it was in the water mm -hmm. it's it still would have been gone because of the sand erosion there's okay. rubber bands don't live in the wild they can't. Well, no, obviously they don't live in the wild, but they, I don't... they can't for more than six months, no matter what elements well, they're that, supposed to. The sun, even if they're buried, I mean, yes, you can bury something in the dirt and it'll be there later, but okay, but there's th so many different variables with rubber bands. You can't make a, draw a broad overgeneralization that every single rubber band, when you don't know anything about that rubber band, you don't know the thickness, you don't know the brand, you don't know right. how. But it, it, that's that's true, and I'll admit that you know that is true that maybe they were like industrial rubber bands. But as far as I can tell, like I said, everything I've seen, that's the one thing where I haven't seen a lot of explanation. And I don't know. I'll mm -hmm. admit I don't know. But to me, it speaks that that was a plant. And if that that's kind of the smoking gun. If that was if that money was planted there, that speaks to conspiracy. Who who planted it then? One of the people involved in the conspiracy okay. to throw people off the trail. If, if anybody was ever thinking maybe he didn't even jump off the plane, why do let's years, throw some money. Why do it nine years later though? Because then you you have it. What looks like, and there's no telling that in six months somebody's going to find it. Exactly, but they're they're planting. Maybe there's more things planted out there that they haven't found. Okay. Probably not. Okay. Um, because they've exhaustively swept that area. Yeah, um, but if you're gonna, why not just do that right <laughs> afterwards? And then you know that's a good question. I I don't know. Um specifically maybe maybe because they had just started hearing maybe maybe it was getting popular my theory mm -hmm. at that time and they went oh we need to throw some stuff in the woods i i find that hard to believe i i, I do in I a way too that. but i also find it hard to believe that the rubber band held up for nine years when all evidence points to the contrary so with that said the money is the, weird but we can move uh, on. well no I'll, I'll do a next thing with not the rubber band money but why are no bills found in circulation if it's being 
if it was distributed to three or four other people, wouldn't you imagine some of these builds would somehow find their way into circulation? It's really easy when you have um, stolen money. There, there are a lot of uh, black market ways to take marked money. And well, it wasn't marked. They just had the serial number. Right, right. But, okay. but it, so it, it not marked. But they know that it was. They know that it was um, microfilmed by the by the FBI. Okay. And so they know that this money they can't go spend this. So you you speak to somebody in the black market who you know counterfeits money or, or something like that. Basically, you can turn a legitimate but um, guarded money that's only going to be used on the black market. You can turn that into money that you can use at the grocery store very easily through the black market. I mean, that's another layer, but I will admit it's, it's easy to not get caught with money. If you know the place to go to not get caught with money, if you're doing a whole conspiracy, like a skyjacking that is never solved, you probably have a way to contact people and you have, you have now the equivalent of a million dollars. You can contact anybody you want. that can give you legitimate money that won't be flagged. But don't you think at some point it would find its way into circulation? Aren't you putting way too many variables into to a stewardess, two steward, a stewardess, a couple pilot captains. We've all been. Well, nobody has ever, in any sort of position of authority, ever suspected <clears throat> these people would do that. Yeah, true. I mean, but here's the thing too. Um, even if even if all those people had spent the money in the, in the next ten years, you know, all the people that that all split it, maybe they split it four ways. You know, um, maybe they each got fifty grand, and uh, they all spent fifty grand in the next ten years. We're not to the point where if we're still not today, like you can still go in and spend marked bills at places. People still spend counterfeit money at gas stations. It's not like just because they have the FBI has a picture of it. It a lot of money does end up in the in the underworld, you know, a lot of our regular money. And so it's possible. I mean, you're right. It would seem likely that some of it would have been found. Uh, I do agree with that if it was put into the the economy. But I I don't know. I mean, so even if we don't say that he got off the plane and never jumped out, you could still make the argument that he would still have a way to launder that money and keep that money. It's possible. Okay. It, it, so, but if you can do that, if you can do that with not jumping out of a plane, you could still do that regardless. My thought is you can't, there's too many bills. There's too many variables. You can't, even if he didn't, ju- even if I'm just taking your theory out as being the crazy thing that it is, even if I say that he jumped out of the plane and he survived, there's no way that he could have, spent this money without having some of it at some point turn out unless the FBI isn't telling us something. Yeah. Which I love to argue. Okay. But I don't, I don't know. I'm I mean, sure. I agree. I, I, that's the money is a kind of a hard hurdle. So I'll then, admit. So then who is DB Cooper? Good question. I, we never got into how he got the name DB Cooper. Oh yeah. The good point. So like we said, when he got the ticket, he, he uh, said his name was Dan Cooper. That's right. It was, as I understand it, it was essentially just a, a media accident where, where somebody in, in a paper or on a, a show just said, Oh, the man they're looking for DB Cooper. And, and it, uh, they corrected the error, but it still had, had stuck by that point. From what I understand, there were two Dan Coopers that they were going to, I remember Yes. That they were going to interview. One was Dan Cooper A and Dan Cooper B. Yep. They were said we're going to go arrest Dan Cooper B. And as I think an they actually error, called him D B Cooper. There was D A Cooper and D B oh, yep, Cooper. Yep. And they and he thought that the person's name was, was D B Cooper. Yes. And it wasn't, but it just it stuck. stuck. And so they went and talked to this D B Dan B Cooper. Yep. And this D B Cooper, it wasn't him at all. Yep. Um, another, but, some, another but the news, media got hold of D.B. Yeah. Cooper and it stuck. Another news uh, yeah. site called him D.A. Cooper because they heard 
D.A. Cooper is being interviewed and D.B. Cooper yep. is. But it was all just, there were two Dan Coopers. There, there was a video I was watching with somebody talking and they said D.A. Cooper. Yeah. And it was it was funny to me yep. because it's, it, you know, if you know about the case and you know that D.B. Cooper is made yep. up. There was a Dan D. A. A. Cooper. is just as legitimate as yep. D.B. Cooper. Yep. There's a Dan A. Cooper and a Dan B. Cooper. And I would argue but Dan D. Cooper is just as made up as D.B. or D.A. It is, but D.B. sounds more badass. D.B., D.B., well, just because we're used to it. I just th- I think it just feels it just sounds better. But I think after uh, forty years, if you heard D A Cooper, yeah, you that's think it was true. Just cool. I would have been like D C Cooper, stupid. D C Cooper is probably the coolest one. Actually, yeah. think about it, D C Cooper, D C Cooper. That is pretty. Cool. That's pretty cool. That's but anyway, so so who is who is D B so, Cooper? Who is Dan Cooper? I have oh man, that is a rabbit hole. I don't know how much you've done on it, but that is a rabbit hole. I have almost refused to do to look any, at the suspects to look at them for a few reasons that. None of them have ever been identified as it. There's so many wrong things with it because during the time during the 70s, the FBI were tr- were looking for pilots and skydivers. Yeah. Whereas there's a lot of evidence to support that he wasn't either. He he didn't know enough about planes. He didn't know enough about skydiving to make to. He did things that were very out of character of somebody who was trained. True. To do these things. That's how I understand it as well. So, so, I, but, and then you have a lot of people who are like deathbed confessions or my brother was. Oh my God. Deathbed confessions is the same initials as DB Cooper. Oh, perfect. <laughs> well, case closed. Case closed. So that's why I hate this is I, yeah. I don't want to because there's so many different suspects and they all, and, and for one reason or another, they don't make sense. I think he was just some lonely guy, wasn't married had maybe an apartment. What's important though, let me let me stop you there. What's important, the only thing that's important about his identity, the, the who was DB Cooper. Mm-hmm. What's important is that some of the some of his background that leads to theories does matter for who he was. Like you said, the thing about, you know, a lot of a lot of the potential suspects were like trained and uh, were, yes. were paratroopers, yeah. you know, in the war and things like that. So it it could matter. Um for example, the the thing with the tie. We said we'd get back to it. I'd like to get back to the tie. Okay. Um the what was found on the tie like i said there was titanium there were a couple there were several other elements but a couple other that were important because they weren't very common um one of the industries that was using titanium uh air, air travel specifically the boeing corporation a lot of and that's one of the more popular theories now is that he worked for boeing or he worked for uh Somebody who dealt with Boeing, somebody who was around these 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 chemicals, because titanium during this time was really only used for aerospace technology. I think uh, I think it's uh, like Tektronix or Tektonix or something. That was like another that. one that I that saw. That was one of the uh, companies that they 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 contracted with Boeing, That's right. and they did a lot of That's their right. titanium technology. And that would make sense during this time is that he was a manager a mid-manager person who went from different sites Mm -hmm. to and that's why he had kind of this cheap tie he oh that was another big part they talked about that it was either in the documentary or something else i saw but the tie specifically um they they were talking about how a lot of people that worked at i think i think it was specifically tectonics or that place whatever it was they all wore clip-on ties because when they went to work on the machinery they would unclip their ties okay and then they would work on the machinery, and then they would clip them back on. Which makes sense, because if your tie gets caught in a machinery, you're dead. you don't want to yeah. die. Yeah, exactly. So, so you, you unclip your tie, and that would make perfect sense for why he had a clip-on tie that had titanium all over it. That would, it would make Not only would it make sense with that, 
but it would make sense why he was familiar with, with some of uh, with some of the Boeing he, things. He's not a pilot, so he doesn't know everything, but he knows enough because he's contracted with yeah. or works directly for Boeing. Yeah. It, it, the tie puts him there. And to me, that's evidence enough that, it, that his identity is important to some extent because... But not who he was. Not who he was, but the fact that he was... The, the fact that whoever he was, it was definitely related to the uh, air industry. I, I completely agree with you. And and it's interesting that you say that we, we talk about he knew just kind of enough to get him by because I work in an industry, I I work for a car rental company. Yep. I don't, I'm not a car manufacturer, but I know enough about car manufacturing to sort of get me by. Yep, because you have to talk to people about features and things like exactly. that. Exactly, but and I couldn't, but I wouldn't know how to do certain mechanical things. I could yep. fake my way through it because I have a kind of a general knowledge about yeah. it, but that's kind of what, what it's like is if you and, work and same with, with yeah. Boeing and things, he yeah. has general knowledge about, I know you can you can take off with this plane with the stairs down. Right. And I yeah, know yeah, you can... like that argument with the pilot about yeah. how he's like, no, it's not safe. And he's like, well, actually it is. Like, I, I know about this, yeah. you know. Um, it, it's kind of like, you know, me too, which I, I actually wanted to say this. I, did, I don't need to, but I want to say this because, you know, me, I, I, I'm painted as a theorist, definitely. Um, I actually... Oh, really? I work for, um, I work for a, a private employment network, but we are contracted by the Social Security Administration. So I actually work a degree of separation from the U S government. So I'm here every weekend talking about conspiracy theories, oftentimes against the U S government. And I'm oh, contracted. You, you work for the man. I work for the man. <laughs> I'm, I'm a shill, but You're a uh, shill. so, so, but so do you have any, any, I personally don't care exactly who he is. I, I care a little bit of his background, but not, I don't care about who it is. Do you, do you well, care? Do you have theories? Not as much. I, I just think, I think if you, I guess, no, I don't care who he is. I've looked at a lot of the suspects. I've spent a lot of time on them and I kept coming to the same conclusion. Again, kind of, I don't care because all that matters is that we know that he, well, the case is over and he's probably dead. Whether he survived or not, he's probably dead now. It was a long, he was, he was in his mid forties in 71. He's at least 85 to 90 now, you know, if that was an accurate age guess. He's he's very old now or dead. And so it doesn't necessarily matter who he is. What matters is solving the mystery of what happened. Yeah. You know, and and I think when, so talking about that, what happened, I guess to me, the reason that I come to the conclusion I do is because first of all, there's so many variables that with, with him jumping out of the plane, I think it's logical to say maybe he did jump out of the plane and die. I will admit that is logical. Okay. I don't necessarily think the jumping out of the plane and surviving is as logical as either jumping out of the plane and dying or not jumping out of the plane at all to me. Maybe you disagree, but I think that either it's a conspiracy that was carried out or he just jumped out of the plane and died. Those are both logical to me. Okay. Okay. Uh, one thing I want to point to before we're done with this is the what happened to the crew. Yeah. After the fact, because this this was if, if you believe Nick, you they're all at least all like four of them it, are in on it. Whatever. I I don't. Um, Tina Mucklow, mm-hmm. uh, who spent the most time with with DB Cooper, does not like to talk about it. In fact, she joined a. a she of became course a, she doesn't. She became she actually became a nun for over a decade after all, right. all this. So cool. um and she changed her name, became a nun. You could not find her. I don't believe she's a nun anymore. Mm-hmm. I think she's done some interviews, but a lot of people harass her about this yeah. and she just doesn't want to be involved with it. Um I also that makes sense. I also understand that Florence Schaefer 
after this entire incident became very, very paranoid. In fact, she'd get in her car and she'd start the car really slowly. She was always afraid that D.B. Cooper was always, was going to come back and get her because she could identify him. What's funny, though, is that you would, like... Okay, no, you know what? That's not funny, and I, I there's no real reason. I was gonna say what's it, it's not funny. It's it's interesting that brains work this way is more what I mean to say. Yeah. Um, because you would you know you would think that um obviously you can't reason through when you have a, a traumatic mental experience, but you would think that you'd be able to reason through. You know, um, well, I I gave the FBI everything possible to identify this person that I had. I wouldn't have withheld anything. Yeah. So why now would it wasn't enough to catch him? So why would he come for me now? Yeah, but, but you can't reason through that. No, you no. can't. And that's why. And that's what bothers me when when people kind of cheer DB Cooper on. It's true because everybody kind of thinks he's he's some kind of Robin Hood. And I will say this with my theory: I can't, I can't in any way explain what seems to be very real you know, PTSD for the people that went through yeah. this. I can't explain that away. And they wouldn't have that if they were in on it. Yeah. Um, Sh- what was her name? Uh, Shafney, the, the first one he talked yep. to, um, Shafney, whatever it was. Um, I, she wasn't part of the cover up to me. So it would make sense that she does have PTSD because she thought it was real hijacking. Um, I don't know about it, what sounds to me with, with, cause like I said, it would have to be, um, you know, Mucklow or whatever, yeah. uh, um, and then the probably the pilot and co-pilot, and then maybe one other person or whatever. But um, the as far as I know, the pilot and the co-pilot haven't come forward with PTSD-like symptoms. Um, well, they weren't re- the pilot and co-pilot, and, and I've heard a couple different explanations about this. While we still have some time, is that most people who fly planes have military backgrounds, so they're probably more apt to deal with this. And yeah. they were never they were just doing their jobs. They were never they never saw DB Cooper. Yeah. They were never actively involved with. That's how I understand it as well. With this, so yeah. it, it, they probably coped with it better than the people who so are uh, who are a flight attendant who you know this is the worst possible thing that could yeah, possibly happen to definitely. you as and, a flight attendant and so what i what i was getting at is okay so they're not because of that very real reason or because of my theory but they're not showing that um the the um, Mucklow, she went. You said she went. Uh, she became a nun, right? She joined the convent. Yeah, she joined a convent. And and okay, all I'm saying is I'm not trying to take anything away from her. I'm talking about my theory. But let's say that she is in on it. That's kind of, to be honest, a pretty good cover and a pretty good character thing to to leave the world to not do any interviews when you're brought in on a big conspiracy and you're paid out for it, or even, or I guess even playing guilt. Yeah. Yeah, if yeah, you, that too. If I'm, I mean, if I'm even sort of buying into your harebrained theory, which I'm, I'm not. I think that's the, it, the one of the crazier things you've said. But all I'm saying is, I, I think it's crazier to say that he jumped out and lived. I agree. Yeah, okay, I agree. thank you for that. Thank I agree. You. I think saying that he jumped out of that plane and lived is crazy. I think there's much more likely that he jumped out and died. Or, or like I said, didn't jump out at all. At least is more likely than jump down. Because they never found anything about him. They never oh, found his body. Thing. And that's another thing. It makes sense. That I, I'm glad that you mentioned this. I want one more point about my theory. He definitely, if he jumped out and died, here's why I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Because it makes sense that he didn't find any of his body. It could have. He was probably eaten by animals, and the rest of it decomposed or washed down the river, whatever. But. All of okay, so he had he left with two parachutes, he left with a ton of metal harnesses, things like that, things that in all this time would not have decomposed. None of that was ever found in all of their extensive, exhaustive hunts. And the reason that they said, here's the thing, too, because people were like, All of this time you've spent looking, how have you not found a body? That's when they came up with the 
or not came up with, but that's when they cited the, well, we didn't find anything because his body probably completely decomposed. And that that placated people, but none of the non-decomposing metal and all the harnesses and the parachutes and all that, none of that was ever found either. Sure. How, How did he, if he did die... Where's that stuff? It's actually interesting because they found, they did find a body when they were searching, but it was for a young woman who had been kidnapped several years earlier. So they they actually, I, I, they didn't, it's good that they found that body. I yeah, mean. but they, but they were able to find a body in the yeah. woods. So again, I, I just think that he, I don't know, maybe he plunged into the water and, and yeah. everything's at the bottom of the lake. I I don't know, but I, I it's do possible, think, but I, I think that's a hard hurdle. To I, I think he jumped out of the plane. I think you're focusing on two or three things, the rubber bands and not having the body. And I think you're making a theory completely around that. Yeah. Sometimes you need to do that when the, when those don't lead to the official finding or the facts. I think you it's know just I mean? as likely that with as many, you know, tens of thousands of miles of forest and that they could not for the life of them find it. But, but again, that's oh, just, maybe. that's just me. And I will That's say one me. one thing I will say against myself here at the end with the finding the body is um, they, they don't always they find did, everybody. Well, they did an exhaustive search, but a kid found that money. That's they true. didn't find it. That's true. So you know, it doesn't mean that they just because they did a search that they found everything. They didn't find the money. Yeah. So that's right. That's that right. was found. So, but maybe it's because it was planted six months later. So or, it was when they were or it could be that. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Yeah, who you knows? Guys, let us know. Um. Uh. You know, on all of our social media that we'll announce at the end. What you guys think? This is such a fun one. Honestly, it was fun, right? You you threw me a curveball. I was more prepared to argue with you about living versus yeah. dying, and you 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 got me. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. You're not saying that I'm right, but I got no. You. <laughs> God, no. You're not. No, you're never right. But you're never right. So. Uh, we do have a couple exciting things coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are next week. We are doing Steve, Stephen Avery. We are doing making a murder. We are, we are, <laughs> you better start watching that documentary. Yeah. <laughs> I am, I am two episodes in and we wanted to start our research there so we don't miss Cause here's the thing. We're going to, we're going to use that supplement supplementarily, but we want to do, you know, outside research, obviously, but we, we have to start with that because we know that if we, if we talk about it and we haven't fully seen every episode, you guys are going to come at us with, well, what about this? And we're like, Oh, I didn't yeah. run across it in my research. They're like yep. it's an episode eight. Like, yeah, yeah. so we're going <laughs> to watch it. Eight. Minute forty five. Yeah, we're gonna watch it, and we'll and then we'll do research on. I hadn't actually ever seen Making a Murderer. No, I've heard so much about it. I have I too, and yeah. I and I did some research before it, and and because I I was deciding if I wanted to watch it or not, and I just decided he was guilty then. So I'm going <laughs> in. That's what I'm gonna argue is that he's guilty. And I think you're gonna probably argue that he's innocent. Yeah, I probably I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll argue happens. that it's a consp- I'll, It'll be something grander than just he's innocent. Like this well, DB Cooper thing, well, like everything I do. If he is, if he is innocent, then it's a police cover up. Yeah, which I love. Yeah, so but so this is I right want it to alley. be grander than that. Mine are always a little different than the main conspiracy thread. Lovely. So <laughs> uh, the other thing we've been talking about, we've been in talks with uh, Who's Right? Oh yeah, podcast. Love we're, those guys. We're looking to do a episode with them. Yep. So we're look forward to that. We're going to probably do a co episode together. We're trying to. We're trying to get down the logistics yeah. behind that and what to what to talk about. If you guys have any thoughts about what do you want us to cover, get a hold of them. Get a hold of us. That would be good. And then the other one is a big shout. I want to give out to someone who's who's been listening. She's told me that told us that she's listened to every single one of our podcasts, and she's been very very gracious on on 
retweeting us and 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 yeah and getting a hold of us and all this so. to us uh that's um uh shayla fletcher uh she has a so she, sorry uh, by the way pronunciation is very hard it is we're not good at it. so uh uh shayla we appreciate everything you've 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 been you know talking to us about and everything uh yeah she actually has a book out it's called hashtag me being me yep i haven't had a chance to read it yet it, it sounds like it's a it's a young adult it, kind of a coming book. of age young adult book absolutely so but it sounds like it's a wonderful book i i'm actually i think next week i'm probably going to download it on the on the tablet and and take a look at that so mm-hmm. uh, if you have middle schoolers or if you have if you're you have people who are into that kind of uh literature please yeah, take a look general. at take a look at that i believe she's on and i'm probably going to be amazon able, and yeah yeah and that's what i was going to say well you, you you'll get the ebook uh, ebook i'm probably going to be getting the the paperback soon here uh from her amazon and so um that i definitely uh will probably retweet as well because i think she's posted about it um and so at least you can find the author but it, it looks really great guys and we, once again we just want to say thank you you know and, and she actually does a lot of uh reviews for books and i've read some of the reviews yeah. on books and if and if how detailed she is with with reviewing other books i can only imagine how wonderful the book is her writing itself, itself will be yeah yes definitely so, so. looking looking forward to that thank you big shout out and thank you for everything you know yeah so, so other than that uh if, look, you know look forward like you said to Stephen Avery. look forward to uh, i'm so excited to do stuff with who's right that's going to be awesome those guys are great check out their podcast as well i think they're uh, doug and anthony yep from who's right they're great their podcast always has me in stitches so check them out um otherwise you know Get a hold of us. Let us know what you thought. Let us know what your theories are for anything we've talked about, especially DB Cooper. This one's fun. It's interesting. Uh, tell it. Have, tell us how Nick is an idiot. Yeah, please do. I I love it. We we've had you know I think we posted about it on some social media, but we have a lot of people telling me I'm an idiot. So uh, join in on the fun with that. It's it, it's actually funny to see how many who who's the idiot in this entire thing because sometimes I'm the idiot and yeah. then sometimes you're the idiot. Yeah, like it's just, it's fun to just see how people like if you don't believe what they believe they're the idiiot yeah so, exactly so yeah I've, I've had it I've had a couple some people have contacted you directly and said God that, that JJ guy yeah. doesn't know what he's talking yeah about. we yeah exactly we've had it both ways so yeah. we really appreciate it when you guys get a hold of us definitely do so in the future but otherwise um, signing off signing off hey everyone I'm Nick I'm JJ thanks for listening to our podcast. Please like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash conspiring to argue. Follow us on Twitter at CTArgue. And follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash conspiring to argue. Or please check us out on our website, conspiring to argue.com, or email us, contact at conspiring to argue.com. Join the conversation and look forward to future episodes. Thanks so much.